Welcome to another episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. The reason why you haven't heard the intro music yet is that we finally have a sponsor. It's Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Get 0% financing on all new Cadillac ATS, ATS Coupe, CTS, SRX, XTS, and Escalade models through August 31st. Cadillac is a luxury car, and Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey is a luxury car experience. Call 866-865-6973 or go to holmancadillac.com. Now, here's the show. I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to a post-game edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Philadelphia Daily News columnist David Murphy, soon to be joined by Daily News beat writer Les Bowen, who covers the Eagles for us, as well as Inquirer columnist Mike Sealski. Both of them checking in from their respective abodes. I am holding it down solo here in the studio at 801 Marketplace or Market Street in uh, beautiful downtown Philadelphia. It is a temperate Sunday evening, and the Eagles are coming off an impressive victory. You know, obviously, we've learned not to get too carried away after last year uh, with preseason results, but it's better than the opposite, as as they say. And we're going to bring in Les here in a minute to break down all the all the ins and outs of the game. But first, the the headlines: Ruben Randall and Chris Givens have been released by the Eagles. The the press release just popped into my inbox as I was recording a previous incarnation of this open. Uh, in fact, the news broke so recently that I recorded our segments with Mike Sealski and Les Bowen before we learned of Randall's release. So you may be scratch. So in, in case you scratch your head while listening to us pontificate about the prospects of Ruben Randall being released, know full well that he has been released. You are not living in a time warp. Uh, Chris Givens has also been released, and Mike Sielski actually broke that news to me during our segment, and now that move is also official. It was initially reported by the NFL Network, but that clearly brings the final 53 into clearer focus. It would appear that wide receiver Paul Turner, who got has gotten lots of run this preseason, would make the squad, although that's not a definite. There's there's going to He, he still could be one of the last on or last off. Um, you're looking at Doriel Green, Beckham, Josh Huff. Nelson Aguilar and Jordan Matthews as your four with Turner as a potential fifth. Uh, C.J. Smith, another guy that we will talk about on this podcast with both Les and Mike, undrafted rookie out of North Dakota State, who was a remarkable insertion into the first team in the second quarter last night. That was that was a very interesting development that I don't think any of us saw coming. But first, let's go out to Les, who is fresh off the plane from Indianapolis, and joins us from his home in South Jersey. Les, what did you think after this game? Uh, was it a, was it a surprise that both units looked as good as they did? And do, and do you think it has a chance to kind of change the narrative with regards to this team? I was a little bit surprised, Dave. Uh, I was. You never know what to expect from the other team, and I was not at all impressed with the Colts. They had a lot of people injured, and the people they had healthy just didn't play very well. And some of that had to do with the Eagles. But 
I kind of came away from the game thinking, well, I don't really know what kind of team the Eagles are going to be this season, but I'll bet you the Colts aren't very good. <laughs> um, you know, I just don't think they've assembled much uh, much of a roster there, uh, particularly on defense. Again, where they do have several people hurt right now. But uh, so, from the Eagles' standpoint, you certainly wanted to see the offense, the first team offense run off some touchdown drives, and they did exactly that. They had three nice touchdown drives and a little more than a half of action, and uh, that hadn't happened in the first two preseason games. They ran the ball well. Uh, Bradford threw the ball very well. He had a clean pocket. The only sack was on the very first snap where Blitzer came through clean. Um, Defense has been reassuring the whole preseason, really, and you don't know – you still don't know how much stock to put in that, but it sure looks like that front seven is going to be very impressive. I think if you were going to game plan for them, you would throw like short, quick passes and screens a lot to kind of negate the pass rush. And I'm not sure that they're good enough on the back end to keep teams from, from making a decent living at that. But, I don't think they're going to be a team that gives up, you know, 40 points a game or anything. So did it change my mind? I was never, I was never one of these people that thought they were going to win two games. And I was never one. And and certainly I'm still not a person who thinks they're going to win 11 games. So I don't think it really changed a whole lot in my mind. I've been like in the seven, nine, eight and eight, nine and seven sort of, sort of uh, camp ever since spring came along and that's kind of what i see yeah the one interesting thing to me while i'm thinking about it was uh cj smith the kid from north north dakota state Mm -hmm. undrafted free agent um you know he's he's always he's been one of those guys that's clearly had a good training camp but at least i always had him flagged for the practice squad were you surprised by the fact that he got so much run last night and uh, what did that really say to you? He was. He played a lot of snaps, more than almost anybody else on the defense. Uh, it was very interesting. I don't know quite what to make of it. I think Eric Rowe really is in a fight for his life here for whatever reason. I thought Eric Rowe played well last night. He had one re- uh, really good what, – what Eric Rowe is good at is a really deep, straight, you know, stay with the guy down the sideline thing, and he did that last night. But – for whatever reason, they seem to like other people better, and they certainly seem to like C.J. Smith, whom I looked for in the locker room but could not find uh, hmm. last night. I'd love to talk to him about you know, this, uh, this whole phenomenon and what he expects at this point. Well, he's clearly an NFL player from that regard then. Yeah, that's right. He's, he's gotten that part down. Um, yeah, I guess the one, I mean, the conspiracy, conspiracy theorist in me uh, wondered if there might be a split between the front office and the coaching staff on, you know, a guy like C.J. Smith versus a guy like Eric Rowe. And, and you know, it, it almost felt like throw, throw them both out there and, and kind of let the best man win. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, from the front office's perspective, it'd be a shame to give up on a guy like Eric Rowe if that's what you have to do in order to, to accommodate a guy like C.J. Smith. Uh, and then from the front office perspective, I mean, Smith, you would think, would get through waivers. And, uh, I mean, I guess you never know, but – you would think. I, I I don't know really what they're doing at corner. I mean, for a while they thought Jalen Mills was the greatest thing ever. Uh, I saw him mainly on special teams last night. Um, I, I don't know. I 
with their approach, I mean, the, the front office now is not the front office that drafted right. So they're not that invested. But he is a second-round draft pick. And I don't think it was an illusion last season. He, he certainly looked like an NFL player. Um, I know he's had some trouble with this scheme, but I just can't believe they're going to cut him. I just, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. There's so many twists and turns between now and when they get from 90 to 53. But, uh, yeah, the, the C.J. Smith thing was very interesting. It was, uh, it was probably one of the more unexpected things that happened last night. And I think one of the more unexpected things that happened last night, too, I, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Sam Bradford was not touched at all. It seems um, he had tons of time. Well, to... he put that sack on the first. Uh, play. Well, after... he, had, he had a couple more times, but yeah, it, in general, he was not touched. After right. that, it was... after that first sack, um, I mean, yeah. he had plenty of time to throw. And I think the one, one thing we can at least say about Sam Bradford is, if you give him time, he's a good quarterback. Uh, oh yeah. If I mean, like he looked no. And, and if they have a reasonable running game, you know, I think he's a very, very good quarterback. And uh, you know, it was uh, he had three incompletions last night. One was the ball that Aguilar handed to the defensive back um, <laughs> for an interception. Another was the play where DGB broke off his route and started backpedaling towards the end zone, <laughs> which looked a little weird. Right. And the third was a pass that was in Brent Selleck's hands and the defensive back ripped it out. You know, well, uh, yeah, again, nothing you could pin on Sam Bradford at all. So out of 20 passes, I, there was not a ball that was poorly thrown. At the same time, uh, you know, the Colts were playing without Robert Mathis, their, their leading edge rusher. Uh, they were Playing with Davis, and, and really they they just weren't. Uh, their defense was horrible. I mean, it was if that if that is anything, what their defense is going to look like, they're going to get killed by everybody. Well, and they're also going to get killed if that's what their offensive line looks like. I yes, it's a shame, yes. Andrew. I mean, Ryan Good. If I'm Andrew Luck, I I almost start going LeBron James on the front office and trying to affect yeah. some change because I mean he's five years into the league now, and you're still looking for a left tackle for the guy. You know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about it from the standpoint of this is kind of the worst-case scenario. Uh, it, it, what the Eagles have done with getting Carson Wentz, and we, have, we certainly don't have any idea that Carson Wentz is an Andrew Luck-level talent, but if he is, let's say for a minute that he is, just for argument's sake, you know, they're going to have a very hard time with the situation they have going forward with draft picks and so forth really building a team around him in two or three years when Jason Peters is gone and other people are getting older. And, uh, you know, I think it probably is possible, although the Colts look like not the only team that that has done it in recent times, that you could have a great franchise quarterback and still have a bad team. Because yeah. <laughs> I really think Hallie Roseman's thinking is if you have the franchise quarterback, then the rest of it will follow. But, I think the Colts might be about ready to prove to us that that isn't necessarily true. Yeah, they did not look – more than anything that happened with the Eagles last night, it was pretty eye-opening to me how flawed the Colts looked. And I think you, yeah. could, you could almost see it in Chuck Pagano's face on the sideline. Uh, yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how that team's going to win games if this is what they're running out there. Now, granted – Yeah, they – they signed Stephen Ridley today to help their running game, uh, but you know they're really uh, the offensive line. Uh, they had they they did have a few starters out. 
But there was one play in particular. They have a guy, a third-round rookie, uh, who was the right tackle, uh, playing in place of their starter. And this guy's supposed to be good. He's a third-round rookie. And the Eagles lined up Fletcher Cox in the wide nine as the wide guy on that side. And Fletcher Cox just went right past him and clobbered him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was – you saw people that they're kind of counting on just repeatedly get abused. Their center was really their center, and he had a terrible night. Bo Allen was yep. <laughs> running over him, you know. Um, so, yeah, uh, if, if you're Indianapolis, and I think that was the tone of – I didn't really hear until I got back and started rewatching the game. I didn't really hear the Colts broadcast. That was kind of the tone of the broadcast. It was the tone of – the interviews after the game, and it was the tone of what the Indianapolis Star had to say today. It was like, holy crap, this looks awful. Yeah. Uh, since you brought it up, Doriel Green, Beckham, there were three, I think, plays that you would put stars by, and you mentioned one of them, where it was actually, it looked like it could have been a nice pass by Sam Bradford in the back of the end zone, and Beckham, for whatever reason, kind of turned around and started backpedaling rather than running to a spot. And then... I don't know if you saw this, but on TV it was it was noticeable. They were down in the red zone. A couple of possessions later, Doriel Green Beckham was lined up on the right, uh, split outside of I think Zach Ertz, and you could see Ertz kind of lean to Doriel Green Beckham, and it, it looked like he was almost diagramming the play on his hand to kind of show him where to go. And then the third play. Was was when Sam Bradford? It wasn't even really a fade. He kind of just threw a jump ball into the post for him, and Beckham just—I mean, he's clearly gargantuan in terms of his proportions, particularly when he's look—you know—playing against. I don't know if that was Tay Glover or whatever anonymous cornerbacks the Colts are running out there. What, what did you make out of Doriel Green Beckham? Can he be anything more than a red zone jump ball specialist? Um, you know, I mean, what? How complicated is playing wide receiver, and can they can they make it work? Because clearly, he has you know all the all the physical talent in the world. Well, the idea of just running him out of one of the three spots, which is what they're doing right now, you can really kind of do that indefinitely. It, it cuts down on, you know, it, it makes it maybe a little easier for defenses to game plan you, but it keeps it simple for him, and you can certainly get him into some situations that you know will help you. Um, I thought, for example, his first catch last night, uh, his first catch as an eagle was on a slant. And he could certainly do that, you know, very well. And he's so big, I kind of saw this in some highlights from the Titans as well. He can catch a slant and sort of almost like a pick and roll, you know, roll off of this guy who is trying to tackle him and just take off after catching the slant, you know, like almost like turn around and go. And uh, he did that. On this, he didn't get as far as, as you might have hoped, but he, he just sort of shouldered aside the defender and, and kept going. And, uh, you know, that was pretty good to me. But I don't, I don't mind them simplifying it for him. I don't think bringing in a guy like that whose rap is that he, you know, isn't real uh, savvy about football and and the intricacies and the nuances, uh, bring August. You know the way to ensure that he fails is to throw the whole thing at him and make him learn everything. You know, if you want to play all season with him just learning to do that one 
position very, very well. That, that'd be fine with me, really. Now, what about, you know, Josh Huff was obviously the other headliner of the night. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Uh, Doug Peterson kind of alluded to it during the week, saying they were going to try to get the ball in his hands. Josh Huff told you afterwards, you know, it's kind of what they what, what they did with him in Kansas City. And, you know, he's right. They've always had that kind of hybrid guy with Dexter McCluster first and then DeAnthony Thomas. Mm-hmm. Do you think – do you think Josh Huff won a spot last night? Do you think – if he is on the team, do you think he, he, he had a spot locked up the whole time and the Eagles were just kind of waiting to unveil it? What, what, what did last night mean – or excuse me, Saturday night mean in terms of the life of Josh Huff? Yeah, I, I don't know for sure, but the impression we all got going into Saturday night was that he needed – that they were going to showcase him a little bit and that maybe he needed to show them something that if he just dropped passes and fumbled the ball and ran the wrong routes, that, you know, things could go the wrong way for him here. He is Chip's guy. He was He's a third-round pick, not a first-round pick like Nelson Aguilar. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, he, he obviously has incredible talent, and we've known that for a while. He ran back a kickoff 107 yards for a touchdown uh, in a real, real Eagles game. Right. But it's the screw-ups have just overshadowed that so much. And uh, even last night, I made a joke on Twitter, you know, Eagles fans, after, after the, uh, the jet sweep touchdown, Eagles fans like, okay, get him off the field real quick before, before the pendulum swings the other right. way. You know, and it didn't happen. I mean, he, he, of course, he didn't play much in the second half, but he was able to do what he needed to do without making that mind-blowing mistake that has become his signature. So, I do think they keep him around. I think it's really hard to cut. When you don't have a lot of talent at the wide receiver position, it's kind of hard to cut that guy, you know. Well, um, well, I'll tell you. I like him better than Chris Givens or some of these other people that they've got around that, you know, are really kind of mediocre talents. Uh, he's not a mediocre talent. He's just a screw-up. So, you know, you keep Greg Lewis in his head and, and hope he can fix him, I guess, is, the, is, my, uh, is my outlook. Well, the other guy who's quickly becoming known for that fatal mistake and a guy who has not done anything short of that third down catch last week is Nelson Aguilar. I mean, what you can't cut him off. I'm so puzzled with that guy, Dave. I don't know. You know, first of all, all the scouting reports about him before the Eagles drafted him in the first round were about how pro-ready he was and how polished he was. And I haven't seen any of that. I mean, last night after the game, he was talking about, yeah, i got to get my head around faster on that ball that bounced off of him and was intercepted. Well, no kidding. You know, I mean, how do you not – how are you working on that at this point? <laughs> I just don't get the whole Nelson Aguilar thing. I – he presents as this hardworking, industrious guy, smart guy. I think maybe he's lost some confidence, uh, but he doesn't come off as somebody that really knows the nuances of running routes and so forth, which is what he was billed to be. He doesn't. He certainly doesn't come off as a guy with great hands, which was another thing that he was supposed to bring to the NFL. Um, I've been just really surprised, and it's it's one of those things. USC wide receivers, yeah, that just don't have a great 
uh, track record in the NFL. And uh, I just wonder if, he's, if there's something about that school and the way they develop those guys that makes them look better in college than they really are. Uh, because I don't see star potential there. Even if he straightens things out and stops dropping the ball and, you know, does the right thing on every play, I don't see how he's ever a star. I really don't. What was Doug Peterson asked about him last? I mean, you guys, I mean, for people who don't understand what beat writers are going through during a night game, mm-hmm. you know, you're sprinting up and down and back and forth. You don't even have a chance to, you know, I mean, deadlines at what, 11 o'clock last night? Right. Um, well, I didn't have a Sunday paper, but, well, it, that, you know, I was trying to get the problem with an away game is they open up the locker room 10 minutes after the game ends. Right. And players, especially the ones that haven't played since the second quarter, they're ready to get out of there. They're showered and they have their rollerboards and they're, you know, they're heading for the food line. And so actually I didn't, I wasn't even in there for Doug Peterson last night. I have watched it on the Eagles website. They have the video. Um, He was not asked much about Aguilar. He wasn't asked much of anything, but Doug has kind of these last two games, especially in Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, people have waited a long time for his press conference and you know, a lot of us just can't. We need to talk to players, so right. we just leave. Um, so he was he was only asked about five questions, maybe. Okay. And uh, none of them was about Aguilar, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm real interested in how this goes in the next few weeks for Nelson. I don't think you can cut your first round pick from 2015, even if he was drafted by somebody who's been fired. Um, but I just don't, like I said, I don't get Nelson's whole deal. I just really don't get it. Yeah, I mean, so then, uh, you know, a guy who's you – know, Josh Huff is on the team. If Chris Giv- – I mean, do you think Chris Givens has a spot? Rand- Ruben Randall's gone, I would think. It Correct. sure looks that way. The way they didn't play him last night seemed to be – and there was a Dave Spadaro tweet before the game sort of hinting at that, that Uh-oh. they weren't going to play Randall very much. Uh, I think the handwriting might be on the wall there. And I don't know – that's like the kiss of death Randall when Spadaro starts tweeting at me. In the practices and games that we've seen, but there's got to be. I know with the Giants there was stuff like meetings that he was late for and stuff like that. And I just wonder if if there's something else that you know that isn't apparent to us uh, with him because they have certainly yanked the cord on him. Uh, Chris Givens, I. They like Chris Givens. I, he had one. He had a good third down catch very early in the game last night. That's about all he did. Uh, I don't know. I I don't see that much there, but I guess they do. I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I like Paul Turner myself, but they well, he's, go, yeah. He's the guy. Was it, it just seems like they're they're going to ticket him for the practice squad and and like uh, Penny Amendola or. Uh, uh, Russell Shepard or uh, that Gibson guy several years ago, they're probably going to lose him from their practice squad. Right. Well, that's the thing. is, And that's, you know, we've all written about this, but it's very hard to accomplish what the Eagles are doing and trying to qualify for the playoffs this year while also restocking their depleted talent supply for the future. Yes. And it would seem like, uh, the reason why it's hard to do both, it would seem like a team who's in the Eagles' position can't afford to take chances on losing young talent you know uh yeah it's uh yeah i kind of agree with you but i don't know you know i haven't talked to greg lewis and you don't know what their discussions are like internally what they're seeing 
I mean, I, I, I do understand one reason we've got the legend Paul Turner is that coming into last night anyway, he had more snaps than anybody else right. on the team through two preseason games. I mean, you know, they aren't playing these other guys nearly as much and right. aren't throwing to them nearly as much. So, you know, the preseason games are for guys like Paul Turner. But Chris Gibbons, to me, is a guy that I needed to see. Now, they, they, do not, they might not feel this way, but a guy that I needed to see something from in the preseason. You know, I don't see Chris Gibbons as some sort of established starter or something like that. But, again, their, their view might be different. Here's a, going back to your comment about USC receivers. Here are the last – 10 receivers drafted in the first or last eight receivers drafted in the first and second round at USC. Nelson Aguilar, Marquise Lee, complete bust, at least so far. Uh, I mean, Marquise Lee was supposed to be the truth at some point, you know, uh, Robert Woods, right. Dwayne Jarrett, the immortal Steve Smith, who might be the best of the bunch. Uh, and then Mike Williams, Kerry Colbert and RJ, Sha- RJ Soward, RJ Soward. That, that's, that's going all the way back. And then you get to Keyshawn Johnson. So, Right, you're right. You're right. And we should clear up that we're talking about the Steve Smith who played well right. for the Giants briefly, <laughs> and then was an Eagle briefly when he couldn't come back from a knee injury. We're not talking about Steve Smith, the the former Carolina Panther, and you know he's played forever. The good. We're talking about the bad Steve Smith, not the good Steve Smith. Yeah, yeah. Well, the one that got hurt. Anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. What um? So so you don't think Paul Turner has a spot on this team? Everybody says, you know, that he's kind of at the margins. I yep. don't know. I would he'd be on my team, but I, I don't get to pick. So uh, it, it's kind of looking like they're going to try to get him on the practice squad. Why don't they ask you? Why don't they ask you your input? I don't know. That's very <laughs> aggravating. That they don't. So what do you got coming up, Les? What, what, what any big stories you're working on this week? Uh, what do you? I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of an I'm anticlimactic still up week. After the game right now, I've got a Doriel Green Beckham and the fade, and how this is kind of what uh, the Eagles fans have been waiting for, and uh, you know, um, and I'm going to write about the defense a little bit. Brandon Graham said something interesting last night about we have the players to make this defense work right off the bat. They're not going to have to go out and spend two or three years trying to find guys to fit this, what Jim Schwartz wants to do. We have the players. We can play this defense. And, and you know, uh, there's every reason to think that we can do it well. Um, so I've got that. And then, we've, then we kind of get into cuts, I guess, pretty yeah. soon. Uh, probably tomorrow. I think they have to be down to 75 by Tuesday. Historically, you don't usually wait until Tuesday. In fact, some teams have done it today. I don't think the Eagles are doing it today. But uh, so I've got the cuts and, uh, you know, things like that. Uh, We've got that final preseason game Thursday against the Jets. Uh, Doug Peterson said kind of what I thought he was going to say about Carson Wentz playing in that. He said if his ribs are really okay, then it would be nice to get him to work, basically. But you're not going to take any kind of chance with him. And I guess that's kind of how I feel. I mean, my, my people who wouldn't play him in this, you know, under any circumstances, don't quite understand that he's not the starting quarterback. Right. You know, I mean, they, they he didn't get to play in, in the second or third games. Uh, he kind of needs to play in this, I think. But, you know, if he's not right, you don't want to get him re-injured something but 
if he's healthy, yeah, send him out there, play him 50 snaps, you know, get him some, some experience. Good Lord. You know, that's why he's here. Um, so that'll be, usually there's not much to, to chew on with that final preseason game, but the Wentz drama will give us, uh, We'll be able to milk that a little bit. So, uh, so those are my main uh, topics. The one guy, the one guy I want before I forget, before I let you go, the one guy I want to ask you about who might might be in the most curious position on the team as we head into roster cuts is uh, Mr. Smallwood, who yeah, <laughs> in the three or four snaps that we've seen him play, you know he he clearly has the burst, he clearly has the hands, you know you can clearly see why the Eagles felt okay about running back behind Ryan Matthews. But if the kid can't stay on the field, uh, what's the latest with him? And, you know, they can't – I wouldn't think that they were they would cut him, but at the same time, you know, that's a roster spot that you're carrying a guy and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tried to check on that before we spoke here. I didn't really get an answer. You know, he was being evaluated for a concussion. Uh, unlike the other guy who was being evaluated for concussion, Chris Pantail, he didn't come back into the game, which, you know, so that tells you that Chris Pantail doesn't have a concussion. Right. Um, I, Smallwood doesn't have a history of being injury-prone, and the things that he's had here are quad and this head thing last night. They aren't like, it's not like he has a knee that keeps swelling up right. or something, you know. Uh, I think he's probably on the team, but I think he's probably inactive. Right. To start the season. Um, for one thing, Kenyon Barner's had a hell of a preseason. He really has. I know it's easy to get fooled by stuff like that, but he's really reassured them, I think, that he can be the number two behind Matthews. They really haven't. Darren Sproles doesn't have a carry in the preseason. It isn't going to now that they've gotten through the third game. Uh, Sproles, they've thrown the ball to him. And I think that's probably what they're going to do is throw the ball to Sproles and uh, make Matthews and Barner the two runners, really. And, you know, Sproles might get a carry here and there. Josh Huff will get that jet sweep yep. maybe once a game, and uh, we go from there. I, and I like Byron Marshall a lot. I, I think he's probably a practice squad guy, but he, I think he's got some potential. Yeah, a... you can't keep five running no. backs. But, yeah, he does have some talent. He certainly does have some talent. Um, it's kind of odd. Oregon turned him from a wide receiver into a running back. And I kind of think when I watch Marshall that maybe he would have been pretty good staying at wide receiver. And then you feel the <laughs> opposite about Josh Huff. Josh Huff from a running back into a wide receiver. And I definitely think Josh Huff would be better as a running back. <laughs> but, hey, who am I to question Chip Kelly? Well, Chip Kelly would say you're nobody to question him. Uh, that that's, that's for right. sure. They uh, they looked. They're gonna have a tough year this year. Uh, I mean the 49ers. Yeah, yeah. I watched yeah. that game too, and that defense is just. You want to talk about a team that can't stop anybody, and and, and a coach yeah. who, who doesn't exactly have that as one of his uh, strong suits. Uh, but then, what do you think about Dak Mania down in Dallas? Well, it's it's kind of interesting to me in that Eagles fans are very eager not to get sucked into Sam Bradford playing well. Right. You know, but Dak Prescott playing well in preseason games means that he's going to be a great quarterback. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I I do know if, if Prescott hadn't come out and played great in preseason games, 
the entire state of Texas would be on suicide watch right now. <laughs> yeah. Because Tony Romo is going to miss at least six weeks with this injury. And the broader picture is, how long is he going to play when he comes back? I mean, it doesn't seem to take much anymore. It wasn't like the most vicious hit you've ever seen in your life or anything like that. He was he was going down, and a guy kind of twisted him a little bit, and now he's got a broken bone in his back again, you know. And uh, Dak Prescott, I liked going to the draft. I certainly didn't see him, you know, starting right away or playing right away for anybody. I thought he'd be a project. But uh, he does have, like, the, you know, last year, not only did Romo get hurt, but Des Bryant missed a lot of time, and they didn't have the running back like they have this year with Ezekiel Elliott. So Prescott kind of, I'll be surprised if it's as bad as, even if Prescott comes to earth a little bit, I'll be surprised if it's as bad as it was last season for them. But but it is interesting how some people's preseason stats mean something and other people's yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's funny. Sam Bradford just going and and could could just mess up everybody's plans from the front office on down this year if he keeps playing like he played against the uh, against the Colts on Saturday. But last I I know you got dinner plans and you know you've been you've been busting it for the last forty eight hours. Uh, so I'll let you go. But I appreciate you uh, taking some time to fill us in. Well, thanks, Dave. It was a pleasure. All right, we're going to keep this thing moving right along. I spoke with Mike Sielski earlier and got his thoughts on the game. Before we go to that, though, just a reminder, the Eagles have released wide receivers Ruben Randall and Chris Givens. Givens more of the surprise, but it would appear that Josh Huff has made the team as well as uh, Paul Turner, although Turner still, you know, there's still a possibility the Eagles only keep four wide receivers. Turner would be the fifth. Before we move on to Mike Sielski, I have the pleasure of telling you about Holman Cadillac and the zero percent financing on all new Cadillac ATS, ATS Coupe, STS, SRXs, XTSs, and Escalade models through August 31st, 2016, which I believe is just a few days away, uh, according to this calendar anyway, on my desktop. Uh, Cadillac is a luxury car and Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, luxury car experience. Call 866-865-6973 or go to HolmanCadillac.com or just stop in and drive the all-new full-size CT6 Luxury Sedan, and the all-new XT5 Crossover, now at Holman Cadillac in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Cadillac is the standard for American luxury cars, and Holman Cadillac is the standard for a luxury car buying experience. Again, 866-865-6973, HolmanCadillac.com. Now, without further ado, a man who needs no sponsor, Mike Sielski, broadcasting live from it looks to be his living room, Actually, my bedroom. This is where it wow. all happens. That's where the magic happens, huh? Yeah, you got that right. What are you drinking there? I am drinking. It's my last day of official vacation. I'm drinking a Flying Dog Blood Orange Ale. It's pretty good. I uh, I, I really wish the listeners at home could be viewers at home so they could see, uh, <laughs> get a little fisheye look into the life of Mike Sealski. Let's talk about That's the right, Philadelphia man. Eagles. It's it was crib sports writer style. So I was thinking on my way home or on my way from home down to the office here on this Sunday evening, uh, about 24 hours after the Eagles took the field in Indianapolis. And I was thinking to myself, does this change anything? Does it change anything about how you, Mike Sielski, view the team? Does it change anything about how we in general should view the team? Or 
is this like last year, 10 for 10, three touchdowns against Green Bay for Sam Bradford? It doesn't change anything for me. And I think because of last year, it doesn't change anything for me. Um, you know, it's it's easy to say, and I said this on Twitter during the game last night, that uh, it doesn't matter. It's the preseason. And that's true and not true. But I think what last year showed that there was such a gap last year between how the Eagles looked in the preseason and how they played in the preseason and how they played at the start of the regular season that it, it was really, it served as kind of a, a stark reminder that the games, real they really don't matter. Yes, you can get a sense of certain guys in certain situations. You know, yes, Nelson Aguilar dropping a pass that leads to a Sam Bradford interception. That's concerning because it continues a pattern of what we've seen dating back to last year. But the, the Eagles hanging, what, 33 points on the Colts and Bradford going 17 for 20 when the Colts are missing, what, three quarters of their, their defensive starters and seven defensive backs. I don't think we can look at that and say, okay, well, this is an arbinger of things to come once Cleveland you know, rolls in here on September 11th. Do you think Nelson Aguilar deserves a spot on an NFL roster after this training camp. I, I, I understand that he's going to be on an NFL roster, but man. You know, it's funny. I was thinking of you last night as I watched him drop there. You know, I should say Saturday night as I watched him drop that pass and have it go off his hands because, you know, we, we've talked a lot on the podcast. That sounds like a Hallmark card. <laughs> um, yeah. When, when I, Saw Nelson Aguilar, I thought of you. You know, roses are red, violets are blue. I see Nelson Aguilar and think of you. Um, because it, it kind of embodied everything that, every concern or doubt you would have about Nelson Aguilar was captured in that play. In Insofar as, if you watch that play, he gets a totally free release off the line. Like, I don't know how many people picked up on that, that the Colts were not at any time jamming any receiver at the line of scrimmage at all. So the very thing that makes Aguilar a questionable NFL receiver, and I think both of our minds, his ability to be physical at the point of attack, you know, get off of press coverage, go get the ball, not get bumped off a route, that was out of play. He could run free. He ran that crossing route just free off the line of scrimmage. And then Bradford hits him in the hands. Yeah, it's a it's a tick behind him, but it's a it's a ball that, as Mike Mayock said on the Eagles broadcast, a wide receiver has to catch 100 times out of 100 and should catch 100 times out of 100, and he can't catch it, and it bounces off his hands and becomes an interception. And if you watch him, my feeling is that if he were not a first-round pick, he would not be on this roster. That's what's keeping him on the roster right now, in my mind, is the fact that he was taken with the 20th overall pick last year, and therefore he's going to get every opportunity to make the team in a, in a way, a guy like, um, you know, Paul Turner is not going to get. All right, so let's let, let, let's walk through, you know, quarter by quarter, position by position this game. Okay. You know, it starts off – now, does this matter? Let me ask you this. Does this matter? The Colts do not have a great defensive line to begin with. Their best edge rusher in Robert Mathis did not play. Their, you know – 
middle linebacker Dequell Jackson did not play. Their one of their starting defensive ends did not play. Sam Bradford, after that first sack, I, I thought he had all the time in the world to throw. And I think, you know, what we've seen out of Sam Bradford is that when, at the very least, when he has time, he's a perfectly capable NFL quarterback. I agree. Now, can we really learn anything from the fact that this was against, you know, a second team defensive front in many respects? I'm not sure we can, and I'm not sure how much we would learn, even if it were from the first team defensive front. Um, it, you know, I, I just I have a hard time. I, and I know it's kind of selective and and it's confirmation bias in some way, but I have a I just after last year I have such a hard time, and even dating back before that, I have a hard time putting that much stock in the preseason. I can remember going back to 2003. The Eagles looked, and Donovan McNabb in particular, looked awesome in the preseason. And I can remember, you know, it was my first year covering the Eagles as a columnist. I was at the Bucks County Courier Times. And I remember writing that Donovan McNabb looks primed to put that loss against Tampa Bay behind him. He was like 14-16 in his first two games. And he came out in the regular season opener, and Tampa just destroyed the Eagles. I mean, he had, he had no time all day. When he did have time, he looked awful. I just – I have a hard time – putting much stock in any preseason performance, let alone one in the conditions that you just described, where the Colts' best defensive player, the best pass rusher is in there. They're missing so many players. You know, schematically, I mean, what they did was, you know, vanilla without the vanilla bean. I mean, it was just, it's hard for me to look at that and say, oh, okay, my, my perspective on the Eagles has changed now. So what is your, as we look towards week one opening day what is your perspective on the eagles what is this team what is a realistic expectation for this team and and did that change at all after last night i think i think realism is somewhere between six to eight wins um because of the nature of the division especially now that tony romo looks like he's going to miss a significant portion of it um i know how good Dak, Dak Prescott looks in the preseason. I saw you tweeted, um, which I think was meant to be kind of praising of him. Yeah. Um, a, a gif of him, you know, sensing pressure in the pocket and continuing to look downfield, and he looks pretty good. And maybe, you know, who knows, the ultimate irony of ironies, a team wins the NFC East this year with a rookie quarterback, and it's not the Eagles. Yeah. Um, but just based on what I've seen of the Eagles, based on just kind of looking around the league, I think six to eight wins is realistic. Um, given the nature of the division, given the nature of the league, given that they do have enough talent in their starting lineup, um, that that should be where they're about, I think. Yeah, and, and the, the tweet you're referring to, it was actually a Vine. Okay. Um, so shout out to the Vine people. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a picture of Dak Prescott, and, and I cut off the clip because I didn't have enough room in my vine whatever my vine drive in, your vineyard? in my you didn't have enough room in your i did vineyard? not have enough room in my vineyard to play the whole clip it actually ends in very eagle-esque fashion with terrence williams dropping a perfectly catchable <laughs> 50-yard pass but as you pointed out my, my intention was to show a young rookie quarterback stepping feeling the pressure from his right stepping up you know because 
we saw out of Carson Wentz. I don't know if you noticed the one, the one action, the the, the one game we saw him in. Mm-hmm. He showed he showed plenty of promise moving with his feet, but yes. he, his first reaction was always to roll right. Yes. And you know, Dak Prescott. Watching him at Mississippi State, I would have thought in that situation he kind of, you know, spin moves and tries to roll out, maybe mm-hmm. scramble. Instead, he he does a he actually in the pocket he reminds me a lot of Donovan McNabb. Okay. He has a very confident, you know, upright footwork, mobility, willingness to, you know, that that escapability, I guess you could call it from the from a, right. and I think that's in young quarterbacks that's a situation that vine where guys panic, you know, Christian Ponder, you know, scrambles yeah. towards the sideline and just throws the ball out of bounds. And I, you know, that, that kind of opened my eyes. Now at the same time, Dak Prescott has a great offensive line. Right. He had a great pocket to step up into once he got, you know, rid of that edge pressure. And I think that's what we saw to Sam Bradford last night. And it kind of speaks to what we've spoken about, about how, you know, yeah, quarterback is an important position, but at the same time, you can put anybody behind a great offensive line and they're going to be magnified in terms of their production. Yeah, you know, and and that's just it. I mean, you know, getting back to Bradford in the game Saturday night, you know, he he was very, very accurate. Um, and that's what you expect of him. He's an accurate quarterback. But by the same token, I think you're right. He had all the time in the world aside from that early sack. And again, it's it's a heck of a lot easier to complete even a six-yard slant route when whatever receiver you've got has a free release. And every Eagles receiver was getting a free release. Now, you know, that changes things. Week one, you know, the the, the Cleveland Browns cornerbacks are going to be up on whoever it is, whether it's Aguilar, whether it's, you know, um, Matthews, if he's playing, whoever the case may be. And not only do you – that changes the equation in terms not only of can these guys get off, you know, a defensive back and get open? But what does Bradford see? Does it cause him to pull the ball down? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's all part of the same continuum, and all it takes is one hiccup, and the whole system falls apart. So let me ask you this: what were your, what were your, what were the things that stood out to you last night? What were your takeaways beyond Bradford? What, what made you go, hmm? I learned something about this team, or I, you know, for example, C.J. Smith playing. Yeah, many many that. reps was a that was a huge development and completely unforeseen. Yes, you know whereas Paul Turner we hit C.J. Smith a undrafted rookie cornerback out of North Dakota State who I think we may have talked about on this podcast before he he's one of these guys that has been impressive in camp but he unlike Paul Turner the the undrafted wide receiver out of Louisiana Tech has not worked in with you know even the second teamers all that much at all he's he's kind of been on that third team and. You know, the sense I got was the Eagles were going to try to get him on the practice squad, if anything. Right. But right. teams that are hoping to put a guy on the practice squad tend not to do what the Eagles did with C.J. Smith last night, and which was put him in with the ones and essentially exactly. say, here, you know, I mean, you know, what A, what did you think of that? And B, what else, what, what other little knickknacks did you take out of Saturday night? Well, I mean, I thought, as you said, that was interesting, and it, and it speaks to either – the impressiveness of C.J. Smith or the lack of depth at cornerback that they think they have, you know, beyond McKelvin. Um, you know, I'm not sure where I come down on that yet. Um, the other thing that stood out to me is the continued kind of, just kind of a small indication of the confusion about 
what they're trying to do. I know this is something you've written about. It's something that I've kind of criticized them for is trying to walk the line between are you are we rebuilding or are we trying to win now? And the fact that Ruben Randall did not play significant snaps in the first half, you know, was kind of telling to me. You know, the fact that there's a report out today, Sunday, that they're waiving Chris Givens. Um, is this simply a matter of these guys aren't good enough? Um, or is it a matter of, hey, you know, we're going to give a guy like Paul Turner a try. You know, we brought in Doriel Green Beckham and already we feel he's better than either of these two guys. Um, I'm not sure entirely what that means. Um, you know, I read, I read Zach Berman had a piece on the website the other day, um, kind of, you know, he's been doing this uh, series of who's going to make the team kind of thing, position by position. And he had Ruben Randall making the team, which kind of surprised me. And his reasoning was, well, Randall's the most productive, you know, the second most productive receiver over his career that the Eagles have on their roster right now. So why would you cut him? But, you know, the flip side of that is, well, if you can get the same production out of somebody, you know, who you can develop over time, why would you not keep that guy? So um, that's that kind of surprised me, just that maybe not so much that they might they were thinking of cutting Ruben Randall, but they were being so overt about how far he had fallen down in their depth chart. You actually broke that news to me, Mike Sealski, and I while you were carrying on there i googled it and you're right rand geitlin uh, yeah from from yahoo from nfl network i believe ah there you go okay uh has reported and again this is sunday night at around 5 30 p.m the eagles have released chris givens which yeah, is which uh is, that's a you know that's a surprise to me it, and, it is too because as you've written i mean you you talked to him at camp you know the the, the thing that givens was supposed to bring was the todd pinkston-esque deep threat where just send him on a, on a go route. And, you know, he's so fast that he forces the defense to account for him. You know, I assume they think they can get that somewhere else or maybe they don't need it. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, let's try to unpack it here on the, on the fly here. Uh, you know, I still don't see a way Ruben Randall makes this team. Not now. I don't. And Not after what Josh Huff did. Last no. Night. And so that, so, all right. So the, the, those are all our moving pieces. We have Josh Huff, who well let's start there uh so chris givens we didn't see much out of him in terms of production but as you said that's not necessarily what he was brought in here to be it, it you know he was brought in here to occupy safeties to go deep to be a guy who can actually stretch a defense a little bit and open up some room for other guys i don't know that that production i don't know that that can be met quantified or measured in in catches right. um right. You know, Randall, that's not the case. He's just been completely unproductive and, frankly, disinterested, uh, yeah. it, it would appear. A and, again, I, you know, maybe they end up surprising us and keeping Randall over Givens, but I would find it hard to believe that they would not play Randall hardly at all on Saturday and then elect to keep him. Um, yeah, because so he's shown nothing to indicate that, like, oh, you need to keep Ruben Randall on the sideline so he doesn't get hurt, like, you know, it hasn't been anything like that. So now the third, we've already mentioned Paul Turner, the undrafted rookie out of Louisiana Tech, who, again, you know, had a few catches. You, I mean, you also saw his weaknesses. As you said, you were watching you were watching receivers, and, you know, he just gets engulfed by defenders because he's so small. That being said, he, he does find his way open, you know, and yeah. he does make catches when they come to him. He has impressed the coaching staff throughout training camp. They clearly like him. I, I you know, 
I don't think it's a given that you can get a guy like that through waivers, especially when you have teams like, you know, the Titans and the Browns rebuilding and, and perhaps willing to take a roster spot for a guy like that so right. they can keep him off a practice squad somewhere and, and keep him in their organization. Now, the final moving piece there is Josh Huff. And he had a very impressive game, a game that everyone knows he's capable of having. It's funny. One one of my big disappointments, big disappointments in Chip Kelly, was he had this reputation as being an innovator. Yes. As as a guy who can find a way to get players in space with the football, and have them succeed. And you saw it at times last year, maybe only once with Josh Huff in that. I think it was the Dolphins game where he had that catch and run early on mm-hmm. uh, when Sam Bradford was still in the game for a touchdown. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he had a long – I'm not sure it was the Dolphins game, but there was a game where he – It might have been the Bills catch, game. Yeah, and he and he somersaulted forward foot right. into the end zone. Right. So, anyway, so last night's recap for, for you know, anybody who was doing something productive with their Saturday. Josh <laughs> Huff took a, a jet sweep and around, you know, nine yards, I think, for a touchdown. Yeah. Yep. There was a there were a couple catch and runs stuff that stuff that when you look at Josh Huff you say this is the kind of stuff he should be doing and Doug Peterson kind of alluded to it during the week saying that he was going to look for ways to get the ball in Josh Huff Josh Huff's hands and I don't know if I don't know if you know you can go two years and another training camp and have it all come down to one game you know I think it might be a little extreme that to yeah. build Saturday night as Josh Huff's tryout but I think clearly he showed what he can do. You know, and perhaps they envision him now as that X receiver where Chris Givens might have been. Maybe this is all – if they're going to keep Paul Turner – put it this way. If they're going to keep Paul Turner, it would have been very hard to keep both Josh Huff and Chris Givens. Right. Yo, you're right. And and Givens hadn't shown very much in camp, um, as you said. And, and, you know, the other point being obviously that Huff brings a special teams dimension right. that neither Givens nor Randall nor, is, nor Turner. Turner would bring. Um yeah, I think you're right. And, and and getting back to your point about Kelly, you know, I think that's a very good one because I can remember, you know, in, in the wake of their signing um, DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews, I had these visions of, you know, Matthews and Murray and even Sproles all being on the field at the same time. Right. That, that to me was one of the great disappointments of Kelly last season. As you said, this kind of you know, I thought he was going to be innovative, not only in terms of, you know, tempo and, and that sort of thing, but in formations and personnel groupings. You know, the idea that you might have two or three running backs in the field at the time and you don't know who's going to get the ball and all that stuff. You know, and Huff could have been part of that as well as, as a wide receiver with running back experience. And that's part of the reason that that play Saturday night, that jet sweep works is because Josh Huff is a former running back. Um, and he knows what to do with the ball in that situation. So um, I still think Huff is a really intriguing player. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just so athletic and so, you know, he's got all the tools. If he can just keep his head screwed on straight, you know, you look at him and you go, okay, there's there's something there if they can use him in the right way. Now to put, put a few pieces together, this would seem to indicate to me that they're keeping five wide receivers, Jordan Matthews, Nelson Aguilar, Josh Huff, Doyle Green, Beckham, and Paul Turner, uh, with Turner being the maybe. Because, you know, Doug Peterson did say, did raise the possibility of keeping only four receivers at one point. With Turner, yeah. it would be five. But, they all, you know, six is also kind of status quo. That, that's right. standard operating procedure in the NFL. 
at least with Chip Kelly it was. I'm wondering if they're releasing Givens to open up a roster spot for a guy like C.J. Smith. I'm just that, that's what puzzled me. What, what puzzled so the, the Smith situation to me is fascinating because, like again, we didn't last night was the first indication or Saturday night was the first indication. Yeah. That this this coaching staff looks at C.J. Smith as a potential contributor this year. Yeah. And it just kind of came from out of nowhere. And, you know, I'll, I'll play our, my conversation with Les Bowen later. But, yeah, I mentioned to him, it, it was almost one of the – because he was out there on the field with uh, Eric Rowe at times. Uh-huh. And, you know, the conspiracy, conspiracy theorist in me almost could envision a situation where either, a, you know, one faction within either the coaching staff or the front office wants to keep Eric Rowe. Yep. And thinks that yep. you don't get rid of a guy with the physical tools of him, and 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 then there's a you know a faction in the coaching staff that says, look, you know, C.J. Smith is a better player right now than Eric Rowe. Right. We can't be in the business of you know keeping guys based on potential and cutting guys like C.J. Smith free. Um, now I don't know if that's reality, but but it's it you know. Well, I mean, what you're getting at is is the the central to me the central question of the entire season and. You know, we've, we've both written about this, and you you more recently, you know, consider the signing of Stephen Tulloch. Like, are you are you signing these guys? Are you going out and getting these old Jim Schwartz guys because you – it looks like you want to try to win now. And, and the, and the C.J. Smith question is that same thing. Are you keeping him because he is – you think he's going to be and is better than Eric Rowe, or are you keeping him because you're going to develop him over time? Like, I – I don't know what their mission is. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what the goal here is. You know, that's, you know, I, I don't know. It makes it, it makes it hard to predict what they're going to be this season because they haven't clearly articulated what they want to be. Right. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm really fascinated to see what they end up doing. Yeah. It's almost as if, it's almost as if they are waiting to see what happens over the first four to six weeks of the season. And then, you know, as if there were a trade deadline, like in baseball, right. that they could then adjust accordingly. Like, what are we, you know, are we one in three and heading south, and therefore we know Carson Wentz is going to play before the end of the year? Or are we three and one and four and oh and surprising everybody, and therefore we keep rolling with this and see how long it goes? I I, I, I think it's almost like they're, they're flying by the seat of their pants. And in their defense, when you look around the division – and frankly, when you look around the NFC in general, it's hard not to think, man, this thing's here for the taking, you know? Yeah. And in their defense, there there is no such thing as true rebuilding in football because of the turnaround. I mean, worst the first is a thing in football. That that being said, you don't know where they're going to err on the side. Like you said, I mean, the Smith-Eric Rowe thing is kind of a anomaly because both are younger guys. Right, right. But I would be very – like the Givens thing – I'd be very interested to know who felt what about what. Do you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I think, you know, I think that there's an argument to be made that they're a better team with Chris Givens than Paul Turner right now. Right, but there's another argument to be made that if you get Paul Turner a season's worth of seasoning, he comes back next year and is a better slot receiver for it and it can actually contribute, a la, you know, a Greg Lewis type. Danny somewhere. Amendola. Yeah, I, mean, I think Danny Amendola is a very good comparable to uh, – Paul mm-hmm. Turner and Danny Amendola actually spent time, I believe, on the Eagles practice squad yes, or, or in Eagles yes, training did. camp. I mean, Paul Turner, all, all he needs, he needs to get bigger is what it comes down to. That's right. that's it. But everything else he's got, 
and he's not he's not the type of guy a team like the Eagles should be getting rid of, in my opinion. No, I I agree with you. Like that's 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 my, as I said, that's that's my problem, quote unquote, with what they're doing is I don't know what they're doing. They haven't articulated <laughs> it clearly to anyone, and maybe they'll they'll pull this off. It seems like a a you know a tricky thing to pull off, and maybe they will. But I tend to think that you need to be kind of clearer about what it is you're after right. when you're a team like this. Like again, to go back to other examples in the city, you know, the, the Phillies, you know, finally said, okay, we are rebuilding. End of story. The Sixers with Sam Hinkie, we are tearing it down and building back up. End of story. The Flyers right now are, we are taking our time. We are not going to be rash. We are not going to go for everything right now or even come close to doing that where are the eagles on that i don't know i don't know what's 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 governing their decision making i don't know what their what what the light at the end of the tunnel is for them at this point what do you think about wendell smallwood he, he's an interesting guy because you know we see him when when we do see him we see why this team liked him in the draft the problem is the frequency with which we see him is not exactly where you would want out of a fifth round draft pick who you're going to yeah. keep on your roster all season. Yeah. You know, I from what I saw of him last night, um, the, the one carry he, he burst through the line and got a good game, but he seems to run. I don't know how you straight up. and Yeah. Yeah. Straight up and down. Like the kind of guy who is going to open himself up to injury, mm -hmm. um, you know, time and time again, um, you know, same kind of thing. Like, you know, are they in a position to give up on a guy like Wendell Smallwood? I'm not sure. No. I don't think they are. Um, but, you know, he's not done himself or circumstances not done him any favors in that, you know, we haven't seen very much of him. We just haven't. And he's one of these weird guys who comes in as a fifth-round pick but would have been a second- or third-round pick if not for this, that, or the other thing. So, I I mean, to me, they're so thin at running back, you've got to keep him. But um, I don't know what to make of him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I was fairly impressed with Barner. I thought Kenyon Barner w was okay last night. Yeah, Kenyon Barner, six carries, thirty-nine yards, which is par for the course. He's he every time he touches the ball in the preseason, going back to last year, he's performed very well. Yeah. Uh, Byron Marshall, a guy who I yeah, think you like him. I think he has some potential. Carried the ball ten times for forty yards. He seems like a practice squad guy to me. You know, with some upside. Mm -hmm. uh, Ryan Matthews looked tremendous on three carries, three carries, 31 yards. I'm interested to see if they look into bringing uh, – put it this way. I think in a normal circumstance where you're not, you know, developing a third quarterback and maybe some other guys on your roster, a team like the Eagles that's trying to contend for a playoff spot would be out looking to add an experienced uh, right. back. Yep. I'm not sure that they're there. Um you know, between especially if Josh Hoff can contribute in the running game, if, if you have Ryan Matthews uh, and Kenyon Barner and Darren Sproles suiting up on a daily basis and Wendell Smallwood inactive, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But there's a whole lot of uncertainty there that a lot of playoff teams would not be satisfied with, a la the Cardinals last year who went out and signed Chris Johnson. Right. Right. Yeah. I, again, you know, what is the goal? Like, what is the goal? And I think – you know, like like we said, I think they are going to play it by ear as much as they mm -hmm. can. Like, let's see what happens against Cleveland. Let's see what happens against Chicago. You know, the, the the general consensus is the schedule is favorable to them early on, which 
It may very well be. It may not be. Um, you know, who knows? Um, but the point being that I, I really think that that's kind of how they're approaching this. And I'm not sure that works. I, I, I don't know. I'm really not sure that works. Um, we'll see. It'll be. And now the other interesting thing to me that kind of ties in the other takeaway, I should say, from Saturday night that kind of ties into our, you know, macro, the macro themes we've been discuss- discussing for the last six to 12 months is the Indianapolis Colts certainly do not look to be any closer to a Super Bowl yeah. in year five of Andrew Luck than they have been. And that's, I, Les and I talked about this a little bit. And I said to him, at some point, Luck might have to start going LeBron on the front office and I mean, it's been five years and he doesn't have a left tackle. Brandon Graham just abused yep. them last night. I mean, they were starting a rookie right tackle, but you know, left tackle Mike Costanza, or not Mike Costanza, he played for the Phillies, but <laughs> Anthony Costanza, just brutal. Yeah. And yep. it's a shame because Andrew Luck is a he is a talent, but there were tons of pressure. There were tons of questions about the Eagles' front four and their ability to generate pressure, at least from the edge, where. You know, Brandon Graham and, and Connor Barwin are have their hands in the dirt after three years of, of you know, rushing from the two-point stance. And, I mean, that team just does not have a lot of – has not added a whole lot of talent since they drafted Andrew Luck. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you mention that because I was thinking about this last night, which is that, you know, Luck is in the prime of his career. He's just signed a ginormous contract, you know, biggest in NFL history, I guess it was. And – you look you, you contrast the Colts with a team like the Cardinals, okay? And this would have been true of the Cardinals up until the moment they just re-signed Carson Palmer for I think it was three years and whatever X number of dollars. But pardon me, the point is that you know, teams seem to be I, I think teams uh, everybody agrees the quarterback position is important. Uh, that's obvious. But how many quarterbacks are out there who can take anything Whatever other 52 guys are on the roster, you know, if it's Tom Brady, Andrew, Aaron Rodgers, Andrew Luck, and 52 guys named Steve, and turn them into a playoff team, they are rare to find. And obviously it is easier to find those other 52 guys if you have more money to spend on them. The point being that in today's NFL, if you have a smart, solid veteran quarterback, and you surround him, you know, with enough, or even a cost-effective young quarterback in the first four years of his rookie deal, that might be the best way to go. You know, now this may all for the Colts, it may all come down to, yeah, they have Andrew Luck, but they can't evaluate talent. Mm-hmm. And that may be it. That may be their their sole problem, and, and poor Andrew's gonna get his the snot beat out of him for, you know, ten seasons with Indianapolis before he finally, as you said, you know kicks the front office in the rear end to go get some more players or go somewhere else. But in today's day and age, you know, you look at Russell Wilson with the Seahawks, you look at Carson Palmer with the Cardinals. And I just wonder if that's the better route to go that you don't, you know, getting back to the Carson Wentz thing, you don't need to make it harder on yourself to get a number of good players. You don't need to give up those draft picks to shoot for the moon with the franchise quarterback. Because you're going to need to surround him. The, the, the likelihood is that you need those players and you can get by with a Sam Bradford or a Palmer or somebody like that if you surround him with enough good players. And 
that to me is the question in the NFL right now, the entire league, is what do you do with that position and how does it affect how you build the rest of the roster? And I think a team similar to – you're absolutely right with, with the Cardinals who, who had absolute slop for quarterback whenever Carson Palmer was not under there and yet still right. has, has managed to make the playoffs. I mean, you had – I think Giovanni Carmazzi might have made an appearance for the Arizona <laughs> Cardinals at one point. Uh, I, I think he played for Hofstra, but some kid who played for Fordham was, was suiting up for uh, uh Lindley. That's I, right, uh, Ryan Lindley. Yeah. Giovanni Carmazzi, old old Niners uh, Hofstra product. Yeah, right. But uh, but the Texans are another example of, of – Exactly. Where, yeah. you know, Brian Hoyer, Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, – you know, TJ Yates, Ryan Mallett. And yet they go to the playoffs at eight and eight and they do it by surrounding these guys with, and the, now the Broncos are trying to do that this year with, you know, right. that grab bag of uh, <laughs> mediocre parts. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's interesting. It's just interesting to look at when you look at luck, you saw last night, how important to have a team around. I, Andrew luck is besides Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady is the most talented quarterback, you know, young quarterback in the NFL since Peyton Manning. Uh, and he's played, I mean, he took a team that went two and 14, one and 15, 11 and five, his first year. The problem is they're not building around them. You know, they're not. And I think there are some parallels there. Not, not that it's wrong for the Eagles to prioritize quarterback by trading for Carson Wentz, but the two most important things you can have is a stable front office and a stable coaching staff that knows how to call plays that know that has a scheme that knows how to build within that scheme. I think that's what the Cardinals have done great, a great job is there's clearly a lot of synergy. Same thing with the Seahawks, same thing with the Packers, same thing with the Steelers. There's, there's clearly a lot of synergy between the right. coaching staff and the front office. They get guys that fit schemes. Yes. If you're changing schemes or you don't have an identifiable scheme, which I don't think the Colts do necessarily on offense, you can't really draft guys for that scheme. You're just kind of like running guys out there and, and you know, hoping almost like the Eagles did with Randall Cunningham and Buddy Ryan, you know, you yeah. just go out there and win it for me. We saw last night, or on Saturday night, it, that doesn't necessarily work even when you have one of the greatest quarterbacks in the game. No, because you'll get him hurt. And right. that's what happened to them last year. You know, th that's just it. You know, wh what are you trying to do? Like, you know, to, to Andy Reid and Joe Banner's credit and Tom Modrak's credit back in 99 and 2000, once they thought, hey, we have our guy in Donovan McNabb, first big signing, first big move is John Runyon. Right. Get a proven right tackle to complement our left tackle and Trey Thomas and, you know, make sure that this guy is, you know, in a cocoon for the next five to 10 years that he's here. And the Colts haven't done that. And it's not that Andrew Luck, you know, you, you listen to a, to a, you know, to Skip Bayless about ridiculousness about how many interceptions Andrew Luck throws or, you know, how he's overrated and this and that and whatever the case may be. It's never just the guy. Right. It's not like it's, it's him out there, you know, trying to throw the football through, you know, a, a swinging tire. He's got to have time to do it. He's got to have receivers who can get open, et cetera, et cetera. It's never just one guy. And I agree with you 100%. I think the Colts are at risk of, you know, ruining this opportunity they had. And it ought to be a cautionary tale to the Eagles, which is why I have so many reservations about what they did to go after Carson Wentz with, you know, are you better off giving up these three draft picks and these two starting players to go get a guy who you think may be incredible? Or are you better holding on to those picks and players and staying where you are and drafting a guy who you think is going to be pretty good? And then you can put other really good or pretty good players around him. Well, I, I also think it underscores 
the importance of the other moves they made this offseason in the front office. I think yes. that now from all accounts, it sounds like uh, Joe Douglas, is it? Yes. Joe Douglas is a very, high, very highly recommended guy. He comes from some very good personnel organizations. They need they need that guy to build a good department, and they need yeah. they need Doug. Frankly, they can't afford to whiff on Doug Peterson either. I don't think. I think that you know that they, they need there needs to be that stability and that 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 narrative, personnel wise, building towards the future. You can't, yeah, you, you know can't, what? you can't keep drafting guys for different. You can't keep drafting Josh Huff for one scheme and then try to move him into another scheme. You know, you need to. You know, the Pittsburgh Steelers draft certain types of guards, certain types of wide receivers because they fit what they're trying to do. They know they, they kind of stay in their lane. They know what they do well and they yeah. do it. And I think the Eagles need that more than anything. They need to find. They need to carve out that identity for themselves over the next three years, or else they risk being, you know, Indianapolis. Yeah, and I and I think to underscore that point, it kind of it raises the stakes for this season in this regard. They have a defensive coordinator in Jim Schwartz who wants to be a head coach. And so, you know, what happens if is there a way to make him stay? In the sense that let's say they go six and ten, seven and nine. And the reason they go six and ten and seven or seven and nine is that the defense is really pretty good. But the offense isn't. Is Schwartz going to leave? And if he leaves, what then? Like, who do you bring in then? Because part of the stability that, again, to go back to the local example, Andy Reid was able to establish with the Eagles was not just Donovan McNabb. It was Jim Johnson. Right. And if you lose Schwartz for any reason, that stability is compromised too, unless you bring in a clone of him, um, you know, or somebody who just plays the same scheme. Um but, you know, that goes right to your point is, you know, they just had, you know, they had so much instability after Johnson left. You had McDermott and Juan Castillo and Todd Bowles. And then you go to Billy Davis and his three nothing years. Um, and now you have Schwartz, who from all the early indications, the players seem to like, the scheme seems to work pretty well. What happens if this year goes bad? Does he stay? And then where are you then? Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. I am going to let you go because I'm tired of looking at your your mug you're like lounging right now i am i'm total lounging i'm, I'm waiting to uh you look very relaxed there. you look like you had a good week of vacation i did we were down the, the down the shore for a little while got to kick back it was good i'm gonna come back tomorrow refreshed and ready to go you got anything uh big you're working on you want to you want to tease no not really we're all you know you know this we're all grinding away on our eagles preview stuff which you can find on philly.com and in the inquiry and the daily news and um you know i'm sure they'll be available you know the inquiry and the daily news are free at home and lincoln mercury right I be, part I, of the sponsorship? I don't think it's Lincoln Mercury. I think it's Cadillac. Oh, okay. Home and Cadillac. This, that, they're dropping us as we speak. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll uh, we're, we're gonna. I think we're gonna try to record another one uh, midweek, maybe after yep. they after these cuts and some of these questions start being answered. I'm not exactly sure what the timetable is, but I will be down at Novacare on Monday, and so, so as you, as will you, and uh, we'll uh, we'll regroup there. Sounds good, Mark. Thanks, man. All right, buddy. I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world?